the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, everything you've been talking about, and, and I really appreciate that last caller because um, I think discourse is how we learn from each other. But I was wondering, like I saw the vice presidential debate, and it, it went a lot differently than people had expected. And I saw Pence pretty much put uh, Senator Harris into a corner she couldn't really get out of. But I noticed that a lot of my friends who are are just open evangelists for the Democratic Party and the other side who are evangelists for the Republican Party, they, they seem to be looking at the same thing and coming away with different conclusions. And I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts were on, on uh, I guess, First Samuel chapter 8, where God had warned people about what these kings will do. It seems to be like a permanent dilemma within our society. And no matter which way you pick it, it's never going to be perfect. I, I just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts in, in the development of that. Right. So I'm going to split those two comments up because the first King eight text is a paradigm and framework framework for the monarchy, for the uh, totalitarian ruler who basically is a, uh, a popularist. That is the danger that we are facing here in America with the level of fury, the level of intensity with which people are voting for people and persons. This is why I enjoyed Marlis's um, her her questions, and I definitely enjoyed Paula's uh, really kind of wanting to develop that, but we're bumping up against the time break, and I couldn't develop it more fully. And that's this. We are in trouble in America because we are no longer informed voters. We're not informed citizens. We're not civically informed. We don't understand Constitution. Uh, we don't understand the amendments. We don't understand the Bill of Rights largely, and as a consequence, we get hoodwinked easily by politicians. And we're more driven by a kind of look at the man, whether the man is uh, 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 Joe Biden or the man is Donald J. Trump, as was the case, the man being uh, Barack Obama or the woman being Hillary Clinton. And on down back over the last four or five uh, presidential elections, what I have noticed is that Americans really don't deeply uh, embed themselves in understanding the policies or what American constitutionalism is all about or and our freedoms and what we're supposed to be as a society. Getting then to your uh, point about how a Democrat who is a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat can watch the same debate that a Republican who is a dyed-in-the-wool Republican. They are sympathetically ideologically and emotionally coming from two different lenses. They're looking at the same thing, coming away with two different answers. Now, they could both be wrong. Logic tells us this in the principle of law of non-contradiction. You know that. But what they cannot be are both right. They cannot both be right. They can't listen to the same debate and one goes away with a view diametrically opposed to the other person which means either they are both going to the debate with intrinsic biases for their own group against the other group, 
Germain, by which they filter what is said and reconstruct it in a way that automatically sets their person, their man, their team at an advantage. I have heard exactly what you have stated uh, many times uh, over the course of the years. An individual say, ah, Kamala Harris just blew uh uh, uh, Mike Pence away. He was too wooden. He was too, you know, formal. She was getting at him. She was, she, she ripped him apart. She was more passionate. She was more uh, uh, assertive and she was exercising her, her, her powers as a, an attorney general. And, and I think she wiped the floor with him, with her speech. Well, if we were to cut the emotional component out, which you have to and deal with straight proposition. If we were reading what she said and reading what he said without hearing what they said, that would be a totally different conversation. If we were listening to what Mike Pence said um, and see how he responded to all of her, her allegations and assertions and how he pushed her into a corner intentionally, he was very prudent with it. Um, he exposed her for being basically laying in the trenches for a Biden win because she knows that if he wins, she wins. And so she was not going to go out on a limb and start exercising any real independent uh, autonomous thoughts because she knows, Jermaine, that everybody that is watching the news from an objective standpoint realize how far left, how radical her policies have been as a California uh, attorney general and how how deplorable her behavior has been with African-Americans. In other words, as Pence basically exposed her for that without being able to develop it because he would have run over his time. Um, those of us who already know what her track record is, we know she's operating out of a position of hypocrisy. She's putting on a smiling face, but in reality, she did not do the African-American community any good when she was a, an attorney here in California. Many African-American men are in prison now because of her aggressive policies, and they know her for what she is. Horns like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. And that's always the case uh, in these kinds of situations where you are moving from a more elected uh, position to now a national position. Uh, and most Democrats know that that's the case with her and are just hoping that she holds on and is kind of quiet in order that if the Joe Biden uh, Kamala Harris ticket uh, wins, that at some point they're going to pass the baton to her and she will push the hyper socialist agenda. No apologies at all in her expressing what she would do. She had already admitted she's going to fill the courts up. She's going to fill the Supreme Court's court up, 14, 15, 16 Supreme Court judges to lock up uh, the, uh, the judiciary when it comes to voting policy, because that's what they want to do. If the uh, Democrats get in this time and they win the House, they're going to do what they have publicly said they're going to do. They're going to put it into a two-party system. And but quite frankly, Jermaine, people don't care. People don't care because they just don't care. They don't have an interest in freedom at, at that level. So it is a quagmire to watch 
uh, a Democrat talk with a Republican, or if you will, a free thinker who operates out of conservative biblical Christian values with people who are operating out of a neo-Marxist uh, cultural uh, paradigm of, of socialism. The twain will never meet. And I'm fully aware of that. And I understand that to be the case today. And I don't, you, you know, every now and then, uh, by the grace of God, will people wake up, uh, particularly professing Christians, to the diabolical nature of leftist policy, and uh, and, and 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 overcome it? But not much, because the partic the particular biblical trajectory of where we're going in our society is man-centered, uh, anti-Christ, uh, narcissistic, God-hating, uh, anti-biblical policies. And it's right in front of our face. Listen, I got to take a hard break when I come back, Mark, uh, and then Dan, and then uh, Travis. And I've got one line open, one 367 one Don't don't mean to be so blunt, but uh, if you want to challenge my assertion that we are moving towards a man-centered, anti-Christ, unbiblical, ungodly system, we can talk about it on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. Now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. Let's go to work. Mark on line number three. Mark in San Jose on line number three. What's going on, man? Yes, sir. Could you please read me James 1.19 and explain it to this list? James chapter 1, verse 19. I don't have it off to, uh, in front of me, but this is what it says. James 1.19 would say, be quick to the hearing and slow to the speaking and slow to exercising wrath. For the wrath of God, uh, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Can you explain that? Well, basically what it means is, is that you and I need to make sure that we're keeping our ear first and foremost uh, on the word of God. It's the literal, uh, in the literal translation of that verse, it's uh, a definite article in front of the hearing. Be quick to the hearing. And that means we should be hearing the preaching of the word of God so that we have discernment. And in having discernment, uh, we then can take our time and speak in a biblical way to the topics and the issues that are in front of us, all issues, because the Word of God can address every issue in life if we are careful enough to understand sound biblical counsel. And when we exercise sound biblical counsel, Mark, and the matters that pertain to our life as Christians, we won't engage in the wrathful kind of diatribe and, and debate and hostility that comes from carnal men who merely want to win an argument and not be right with God in our conversation. That is fundamentally what James is saying. Avoid the rabble-rousing arguments that are non-substantive, that don't edify, that don't bring about clarity of the facts, and that does not glorify God in terms of the explicit truth claims of Scripture. The believer has to be careful not to engage in babble that does not enhance our understanding, that does not edify our spirit, and that, that does not bring a person uh, to, to bear in their conscience with who Jesus Christ is. So who, who are we blessing with this exposition? Well, I was just thinking about talk radio. I've been cutting it down to one minute, 
you know, today's the first day, part of the day, rather. I listened to Savage for a minute, but you can't listen to too much talk radio. Well, what, you just not figuring that out? <laughs> just so tell the anyway, truth, um, I, I, I should get some... I should get somebody to call in. I should get somebody to call in to confirm you on what you just said. You certainly can listen to t- uh, too much talk radio. But give me another point. What's what's going on? Okay. Well, um, I got a text from Roseanne Barr that said, uh, "How do we get off this Democratic crazy train? Vote for Laura Loomer in Florida." So a lot of Democrats are, uh, you know, going to vote, you know, Republican this time. I you know, hope they, so. They see what's going on. What's that? I say I hope so. Yeah. Right. And, and, and also, let me yeah. let me re- let me re- let me reframe yes. Mark. Let me reframe that, and then you can then you can respond. Let me reframe that, because listen, uh, this here is a, a we would call this fundamentally a Christian radio uh, uh, talk show, and the assumption, and I don't want to go too far off the track here, is that the vast majority are are professing believers that are listening and. Um, I particularly don't care for the Republicans or the Democrat. I do care about left and right uh, policies. And so when you say that a lot of the Democrats are going to vote Republican, I don't care about them voting Republican as long as they vote for right policies. And if that just means that they're going to be voting for Donald Trump this time, then that's cool. It just means that they're informed. They have awakened in the true woke sense to the false narrative and the hoodwinking that has been going on. And, and, and that will be good because we need a stay of judgment when it comes to the radical socialist policies that would be implemented as explicitly stated by Biden and Kamala Harris. I'm going to give you the last word on that. Yeah, well, I was pleased to hear that Bigwig in the UN uh, is testifying to stop the lockdown and burn the mask because it's causing many more to die by starvation. And there are a few decent people even in the U.N. Did you hear about that? Uh, who was that? Uh, I shouldn't take notes. It's on InfoWars, uh, but they were talking uh, about it, and uh, I forgot his name. Hey, listen, but he's a hey, if you want, uh, there Mark, in the U.N. Mark, if you ever want the listeners here to recover any semblance of respect for you, just quote, but don't give the name of the source that you get them from. Infowars does not work well with 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 most uh, most people in the larger narrative of things. So if you, uh, I don't know what that's about in terms of the UN uh, mandating the, re, uh, the riddance of masks. We could have that conversation. I think masks have their benefit, quite frankly, because what they do is it at least it stops you from spitting on people in the event that you actually are a carrier of the virus, even though you may be asymptomatic, that would go as well for me. But beyond that, we know that the masks do nothing, zilch, from stopping the virus. Even the uh, World Health Organization, Fauci, everybody else has stated, this is what I had made mention of in my opening uh, monologue, the politicization and the politicization and the weaponization of this whole mask, social distancing, staying away. Most of it was to uh, exercise a balloon test of controlling the American people without legitimate scientific uh, data around what's going on. And all of this, you know, it's coming out. 
after the election. You know this stuff is going to come out, and we're going to be talking about it, but it's going to be too late. Yeah, and Gavin is recommending now while chewing in a restaurant, while you're chewing and swallowing, you continue to have the mask and then quickly drop it, insert more food, and begin cover the face and start chewing. So, so you know. it so it so it so so your friend, uh, your friend Alex. Uh, 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 no, not Alex. Don't use that name on this program. We'll use I right now. We'll we'll use we'll use Michael Savage. Okay, right, Michael. So we're we're gonna be nice about it, but I think that there is a plausible argument, at least when it comes to the uh, Democratic rulers in our country. And I want to see what you have to say about this. I think there's a plausible argument, Mark, that uh, liberalism is a mental disease. I think that that is a plausible argument when you look at our rulers, when you look at what they say, how they act. Um, who was that? Marlis was talking about trying to check in on Donald Trump to see if he's operating out of a state of reality. Are you kidding? Have you listened to Nancy Pelosi? Have you listened to Cuomo, uh, 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 the the, uh, mayor Cuomo? Have you listened to the mayor of New York? Have you listened to some of these, uh, sad to say, just your Democratic leftists in the way that they foment out uh, narratives that just don't have any rational premise to them whatsoever. It's, it's really sad to see. And for 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 Navin Gusum to simply say to us that we are to keep our mask on while eating. Who is he kidding? Who is he fooling? I mean, Nancy Pelosi, first of all, she didn't wear her mask when she got caught in the saloon. Hypocrite. Salon. And then we caught Senator uh, Feinstein walking through the airport without her mask on. Uh, Hypocrite. And I guarantee you if somebody puts a camera on Mr. Newsom, he will not be having his mask on, lifting his mask two inches from his face and then trying to stick some food in it and continue to have a conversation. Hypocrisy. Yeah, and when we think about the Democrats, Jesse, let's, it is that liberalism is a mental disorder because, you know, I mean, David said he that rules must be just, and that's a must. It's true. But I'm not thinking Democrats and liberals, Democrats and Republicans, you're killing me with that because that a person is a Democrat doesn't mean that they are really liberal. Uh, so we want to be careful to leave the Democrat Republican thing off of our conversation, because I really think of people in terms of policies and liberal ideologies. I don't particularly care about your your blue or your red. I'm not on that plantation. I'm not I'm not saying to you, my master is better than your master. Both of them are on the pump cart over into the abyss of man-centered, anti-Christ, unbiblical, anti-Christian policies, and we will see that soon enough. Listen, thanks, Mark. I got to take a heartbreak. When I come back, I will be dealing with Travis and then Ken. Nope. Uh, Dan, Travis, and Ken on the Monday edition of Lifeline. What what that means is there is one line open, and I'd be glad to hear from you. 1-888-367-5329. We'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline. 
All right, we are back. Let's see here. Oh, we got all of our lines filled. Let me see if we can get at it. We are going now to um, Dan in Sonoma. Dan, are you there? Hello. I have one. Th- Uh-oh, you faded out on me, Dan. Sorry, my throwaway comment is uh, it seems like during this crisis, people are paying very little attention to kidney disease and car crashes and other things that needs to be paid attention to, like preventing cancer and things like that, much less attention than is due, is being paid to important things. But but that's due to the media. Uh, But my question that I'd like to pose would run in concert with what's being presented right now on Way of Grace program at noon. Sure. Um, When B.B. Warfield and C.I. Schofield were discussing with Lewis Ferry Chafer, uh, and they came up with uh, the promotion of some of the theories that you're talking about. What were they re- reacting against, really? What, what had preceded the dispensational school that they set up there in Dallas? No, I got you. I'm, I'm totally with you. What preceded the need for... Uh, uh, for Dallas Seminary uh, to be established was a liberalism that basically was destroying the churches uh, and they were weak and watered down. They were not evangelical. They were not soundly uh, uh, apologetic and they were getting their butts whipped with uh, evolution and the pseudoscience of Darwinianism. We know it now that it's pseudoscience, but because we were pretty much uh, just coming up out of the depression and recessions and the economic throes in World War One, uh, the, the the need to revive the churches started taking place in Europe, as you know, with uh, with Schofield and uh, and Darby uh, and others that are in a extremely what I would call an extreme position of uh, Adventism, and they. You know, concocted what, which is really um, a kind of a Jewish-centered eschatology, and then they began to embrace a dispensational framework, which they explicitly admit for those who want to be honest about dispensationalism that it's not biblical; it's a man-made system that's plopped on top of the scriptures and cut up into seven pieces and uh, doesn't really engage the text. It basically imposes itself upon the text, and then it created that two-party system of the parentheses period of the church, which we're supposed to be in, and when the parentheses period of the church is over, then it will return to the old covenant, return to the law, return to the the temple, return to sacrifices, which is the most abominable thing that you could have ever uh, imposed upon humanity, which, in my opinion, Dan, will be the... um, I call it the uh, self-fulfilling prophecy of the Antichrist system emerging in our world. And because people are not really taking uh, the Bible seriously when it comes to exegetical studies in eschatology, they will be hoodwinked in the same way in which people are hoodwinked socially around this present uh, social justice paradigm and Black Lives Matter and systemic racism. All of these narratives are balloon tests to warp the minds of men and women who are not rooted and grounded in principles of 
logic and reason by which to test propositions scientifically, coherently, and with consistency to determine whether or not you're being uh, spoon-fed uh, a bunch of garbage versus the historical facts uh, in view. The same application is going to occur when it comes to Christians who really think they're sound when it comes to eschatology, but cannot answer the hard questions because they're not studying the Bible. They're simply listening to their eschatology teachers, whether it's David Jeremiah or Tim LaHaye or John Hagee and others, because it's easier to do that than to deal with the hard questions. The real problem, Dan, that we're dealing with in our society is men and women don't want to think, one, and they don't want to actually, therefore, argue, two, and they really don't know how to argue, that is, to defend their position rationally, coherently, logically, and consistently, and because of that, we are tribal, and you know what I mean by tribal. This is why we have so many different denominations and so many different sects. And so many people are easily hoodwinked by false religion and cults and occultic uh, ideology and new age philosophy and a lot of this man-centered, ethnocentric um, ideology that's uh, permeating our society is also permeating our church. It's very clear that we are dealing with the apostasy. Yeah, thank you. Despite that, would you say that probably uh, Lewis Berry Chafer was a pretty solid brother in the way he behaved and the yeah, way he preached? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I would. I, you know, when I right now, what I'm doing when I'm thinking through uh, eschatology, quite frankly, even though you, you basically know where I'm coming from and most people should. I'm just being a biblical exegete when it comes to eschatology. I'm not setting uh, in the book of Revelation. I'm not setting a framework, if you will, for either post-millennialism, all-millennialism or um uh, if you will, certainly not premillennial dispensationalism. I'm not even setting a, a standard for historic millennialism, although I think I could understand it within the framework of Scripture, uh, though I think there's some problems there. I am a historicist in the sense that I am a partial preterite uh, idealist, and I believe that the book of the Revelation should be taught deeply historical, radically Christocentric, with what is stated in the book of Revelation plainly, that the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is for the church. It is not for national Israel per se, except to anticipate an ingathering of Jewish uh, believers who are elect unto salvation coming into the church as they have been doing in part for the last 2000 years. But you know what? I don't actually use that as a litmus test to determine whether or not people are Christians. There are really good Christians uh, in all of those camps. It's just, again, it's the law of coherence. Does your eschatological system really submit itself to Pauline theology? Does it really submit itself to a Christocentric uh, dominant view of the text? Or are you willing to get rid of uh, the New Testament when you start reading the book of Revelation and get stuck again in the Old Testament. Those are my arguments, and you know that already. I'll give you the last word before I take a break. Just want you to know, for my friend, um, his twin and myself are collecting a lot of your uh, preaching since March and going to send it back to Georgia so my other friend can study it. Because we think That's... that... Uh... No, go ahead on, go ahead on. Uh, we, we think it should be edifying to him, what, what you've been presenting. Is your friend a Bible teacher? Uh, no, he, uh, 
he's going to a Baptist, um, um, and right now he, he's really into uh, what's the guy's name, John Kahn, and yeah. uh, we would yeah. like to calm him down a little bit because we think that he's a uh, uh, little bit too excited. We want to be excited about Christ, but we don't know about the John Kahn's uh, predictions and stuff like that. So They're wrong. Uh, I've, I've, I've attracted him for a while. He's a sensationalist, just like all the other past sensationalists. It's really sad. I mean, he touts his Jewishness, and then he talks about, you know, Jesus, and he will he will get a Bible verse correct here or there. He employs a lot of uh, Jewish tradition, the Talmud, uh, the Mishnah. Uh, and, and, and a number of the traditional uh, methods of, of the Jewish people. He imposes them upon the text, and so he excites people. Then he gets into uh, numerology or uh, uh, date setting and numbers and, and codes and methods of hermeneutic that are fundamentally subjective, uh, in some case non-falsifiable, and uh, he, he hoodwinks a lot of people. It's really, really sad. I, I, I could not commend him as a sound uh, exegete or scholar or pastor, if you will. And, you know, it's because of the way he traffics. Now he's free, so he can do what he wants to. But we would not call him a faithful gospel preacher of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, uh, calling men and women to, uh, to trust Christ explicitly. He, uh, he uses Christ as a launching pad into his own prophetic ministry, and he gets a lot of people excited. I'm sure somebody is on his trail, um, if you will, doing the documentation of all of his failed prophecies, and serious Christians will pick up on it in time. Listen, Dan, thanks for the call, my brother. Got to take a hard break. When I come back, Travis, Ken, and Kiana, we're going to shut it down with you three. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back. Let's go to work. We got to be real quick about this. Travis in Oakland on line two. What's your comment, question, or observation, young man? Uh, good evening, Pastor Jesse. I have good a theological question. Sure. Uh, someone wanted to ask. Uh, they would like to know when we get in heaven, will we recognize our loved ones? Um, absolutely. If they are in heaven, if they're not, we won't recognize them in the sense of uh, loving what we see. Heaven will be a place where we will see things clearly and we will actually have the same mind that God has. Uh, but, yeah, we will recognize our loved ones. We will be glorified and therefore recognition of our loved ones will be at the highest and purest levels. In fact, we will know our loved ones in ways in which we can't know them now because of the weakness of our human nature and our sinfulness. Heaven will be a place of great and imminent clarification. Thank you. All right. Bless you, my brother. Let's go to line number four and talk with Ken in San Jose. Ken, are you there? Hi, Pastor Jesse. Uh, my pro my observation is that um, ever since Ross Perot, we've been stuck in this frozen two-party systems because his effort was a disaster. And so we miss a lot of stuff that other countries don't like. For instance, in Britain, the issue of Brexit has, uh, has quickly uh, forced the old two political parties to yield to a new upsurge in, in more rational thinking. So I don't feel so guilty anymore about voting one way or the other because there's no choice. I mean, realistically, you know, that's, that's my position. I, I, I used to be a Democrat, but I can't stomach it anymore. It's too radical. 
I understand it's way too radical, but you know what? I think we might coming up out of what's going on here, Ken. I think we might be looking at a third party. You, you and I are not privy to the American citizens who love freedom, who love, uh, who love uh, individuality, who love our country, who are working towards a third party. That's happening right now as we speak. So don't give up on it. Uh, The power of the media keeps us from hearing anything about a third party. But if anything will come up out of this crazy morass that we're dealing with right now, it will be the blessing of a third party. So don't give up on it. It certainly could happen. Listen, thank you for your call. Bless you, my brother. Let me go to line number three and talk with Kiana from Castro Valley. Kiana, are you there? Hi, I'm Pastor Jesse. How are you doing? Going on, girl. Good. I haven't heard from you for a while. You okay? Yeah. Just listening to the, you know, listening to um, the commentary that you've been having about the um, political parties. Okay. And listening to, to, you know, new listeners and what they have to say. Sure. But I was listening to you earlier, and you were saying things about Kamala Harris. And yeah. a lot of people who don't live in California have no idea how her policies have really hurt African-Americans, specifically African-American men. Sure. And I was born and raised in San Francisco, so I've seen how a lot of her policies have put a lot of black men um, in jail. Um, yep. And yep. as a district attorney, she was, like, absolutely awful. Yep. Like this one man, his whole, this one lady, her whole family ended up murdered because yep. a young man yep. was in a gang, and he was supposed to be deported on her watch. Yep, she I remember that. Him. And then she, he ended up killing this lady's whole family, her two sons and her husband, because you didn't do your job. You had a person that was in the crime lab using the drugs. She yep. didn't get prosecuted for that. The lady didn't get prosecuted for that. I mean, I actually had a neighbor who worked in SFPD department with her and was like, well, they knew she had been using, you know, drugs way before Kamala came, you know, on board. But then, you know, nobody, nobody did anything about it. And a lot of black people like to do that. Oh, well, she looks black and she's for us. And because she's black, she's going to do all these things. And it's just like, uh, no. Right. No. So, so what you're dealing with there is an ahistorical emotional response. What do I mean by ahistorical? Quite frankly, uh, my dear sister, very few black politicians throughout the history of America has ever really come through for African-Americans. I mean, we if we had the time, we don't. We'll be coming up on the end of the show in two minutes. But even the African-American politicians in California, if you go all the way back to Ron Dellums and others, you would discover that very little ever really happened in California politics for African-Americans other than talk. And this is true in Chicago. This is true in uh, 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 Atlanta, Georgia. This is true in so many states that uh, the notion that if you get somebody with your same melanin in office, that somehow things are going to work out. That is the insanity of of neo-Marxism that's working at the level of irrationality. And Kamala Harris is just the next example in that, as you have so eloquently and clearly stated, but she's on a national scale now. And what's scary is that if she actually becomes on that ticket with Joe Biden, 
the vice president, guess what? They actually want her, even Joe Biden, want her to become president. That would be an absolute disaster to no end because she has no parameters, no discretion, no boundaries with respect to how to make this country work well and right. But she would get hit with a ton of heat in the House and Senate um, if she were to become the president once Joe Biden finally hangs up his hat. But California, I, I, I don't I don't know. I'll tell you, California is in for it's in for some serious troubles because Gavin Newsom is next in line. I don't know if you know that, but he wants to be the president. I fear anybody coming out of California becoming president or vice president of the United States. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they they're all out for themselves. They say one thing uh, and in front do a of the ton public, other. and then they do yep. something on the side, in the back, yep. Yep. and then everybody turning around like, well, um, but they said this, but they said that. It's like, okay, but they're all professional liars, and that's what they do. And yep. my thing is, they're actually, uh, I was telling my mom, because I was listening to the the Revelation series that you've been doing about the political beef, and I just seen her face in that, and I was like, yep. wow. Yep. I was, like, I was like, man, I mean, because the Bible do say to whom much is given and much is, re- is much is required, and they're not exempt from that, and they're just operating out of their own, you know, selfishness, and like you said, the Marx, the Marxist um, paradigm, and people yep. need to really do their research on people before they start jumping on these bandwagons, because Kamala Harris, like you said, is, is a chameleon. And a lot of, I've gotten into all these arguments with other black people over her policies and a lot of people that's talking all this garbage. It's like, okay, but you're not even in California. You're in the Midwest. You're back east. You're somewhere else. You're not here. You hey, know? sis. And you don't know what she's about. I mean, I've told I, people, like, I gotta we go back and, we and gotta, start reading. I, I wish you call me earlier and we can have this conversation again. Bless you, girl. And bless you, too. See you guys next Monday.